Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs. Providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer. And I'm speaking to you from the UK, London, the land of rain and the occasional sunshine. And in this episode, we're going to talk about a geek that managed to de-geek and then geek up again. And the person we're going to speak to about that little journey is Eric Dask. VP of Engineering at Form Assembly. We're going to talk about his journey, what tips he would like to share to his fellow men and women leaders out there, and how to hire for success, and the importance of diversity in the organisation in the many forms that can take. It's not just all about gender, and not forgetting the power of being a compassionate leader. So let's not delay any further. Let's welcome our guest. So welcome, Eric. Welcome to uh, CTO Confessions podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It. It's great, great to have you. And, and whereabouts in the world are you, sir? Uh, so I'm on the east coast of the US. I'm in, uh, in Boston or nearby. Oh, brilliant. That's a beautiful city. I, I've, I've been there myself. It's, uh, it's very much like the UK, actually, which is not surprising considering uh, its history. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're lucky. Yeah. So um, um, for our audience's purpose, um, do you want to give a short introduction about who you are and what you do, sir? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I'm the uh, VP of Engineering at Form Assembly. Yep. Uh, started uh, about two and a half months ago, but I've been uh, doing this type of uh, of job, these these roles, for over sixteen years at this point. So, w- what does uh, Form Assembly do then? Form Assembly, we help organization collect, uh, use, uh, and be good stewards of uh, the personal data uh, entrusted to them. And, and how, we, uh, how do we uh, do that? We, we uh, build a platform for organization to collect, integrate, and secure personal data. And that takes um, the shape of uh, a form builder and tools uh, to acquire that data from their customers, from students, from their partners, etc. And we believe that that really uh, deliver results for, for our customers and, and we're enjoying a great success with a good variety of, of customers worldwide. Wow, excellent. And, and I'm just kind of curious as to where that kind of gets stored because obviously secure data, is that kind of stored within the US or in the kind of country of origin of where the data is being collected? Sure. Um, so so we, have, uh, uh, we have different options uh, depending on, on your requirement. We have uh, compliance focused uh, instances that can be in the, in different locations. We're also uh, HIPAA compliant, uh, GDPR, uh, PCI compliant, and the equivalent to HIPAA for financial institutions. Right, excellent. And we've got yeah. c- customers all around the world um, using our software. Brilliant, that's beautiful. So kind of taking a step back in terms of Eric, the, uh, the CTO, uh, I imagine uh, that you've had quite an interesting journey to this point. I know we've had conversations around this. So um, what, what kind of brought you to, uh, so wh- where did you start in your career actually? Was you always wanting to be a CTO? Sure. Um, well, com- coming, uh, coming out of, uh, of high school, I had to make a, a choice kind of early on as, as we do in France. I was born and raised in France. Um, and I, I had two passions. Um, 
computer software and astronomy. And, um, you know, I always say I, I wanted to do like my dad and um, actually my dad was was a movie director. Uh, but uh, what he always told me was um, you want a job where when you go on on Monday morning, you have a smile on your face. Right. So when I say I want to be I wanted to do like my dad, be like my dad. I wanted to have that. I wanted to have a job that I didn't treat as a hobby, but that really felt um, like something I was I was excited about uh, uh, every every workday. And, you know, there's bad days and, and, and good days like like every job. But yeah. uh, it, the vast majority of my days are spent with a smile on, on my face. And so I had a, uh, to make a choice early on because that's that's what you do in France uh, and decided um, right after graduated high school to go into into computer software knowing that in france astronomy is a difficult career uh it is state sponsored you get about uh five jobs opening every every year for five people that retire uh so i think that in in the end i i made uh i guess at least the choice that made sense from a a, a financial point of view yes. uh and and um, really uh really i've enjoyed that that shows thus far uh, though I did uh, get to buy a, a telescope uh, oh, wow. pretty recently. So yeah. I'm looking forward to, uh, as an amateur, get back to that. Brilliant. Actually, uh, interesting. I've, uh, I've, I'm looking at buying one as well because for some reason I end up looking up at the stars quite often uh, recently, especially the moon. We've had a beautiful moon. Um, so so uh, you're a CTNA, but you could have been somebody sat with a telescope uh, stuck to your eye, you know, kind of thing I, at some point. I could have been. I could have been. <laughs> though I think that at this point, astronomy is very theoretical, right? So yeah. it, it would have been more uh, astrophysicist than really hands yeah. uh, on astronomer. Um, but so, I, you know, I found myself uh, going through, through school and, and five years of uh, schooling for a master in uh, in computer science um and um you know one i was lucky to have picked a school that favored what we in the u.s call co-ops long-term internships where you do um up to three um internships uh that are six months long in different companies and get when you when you when you leave that um you really truly have a year and a half of of hands-on experience uh which which was great for me i got to um, get a first job and a first offer with the last company that I did a, a co-op with. Uh, and as, as things, you know, sometimes happen, not necessarily by, by choice, but uh, by circumstances, uh, I convinced my job in, in that company, which was a classic client server software consulting company that he really needed to start investing on um, in, in internet technologies. And yeah. this was around 1996. Um, and, and, you know, to his credit, he really did. And we went and hired uh, three new engineers and I was kind of uh, put in charge, you know, at, I don't know, 23, 24 years old wow. um, of, of that team. So more in, in what I'd call maybe a dev manager uh, type role today, but uh, talking to customers, going to see customers in the field with salespeople managing the projects etc so you can you can say in a way that i was i was a developer for a very short period of time right uh, and switched uh to to engineering uh management and engineering leadership very very quickly but not not necessarily voluntarily uh, yes not as a career choice right okay kind of fell into that and and you kind of, we're kind of uh, we're talking we're joking around um you know obviously you were kind of doing the development stuff uh, you know, a geek, if you want to call yep. it that. I'm going to get told yep. off by uh, our CEO for, for mentioning that name. <laughs> but, um, 
you, you kind of mentioned that you, you, you geeked and then uh, you're the geek that we geeked. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, um, I came to the U.S. in early 2000, um, was given a great opportunity to continue working for a startup that was uh, based in Boston and that I worked for uh, in France and came to the U.S. and was a product manager for, for five years. Um, and then um, as I uh, looked for my next uh, opportunity, uh, I got um, given the chance to to start working as uh, an associate director of engineering in a, in a small startup. Uh, and it was it was one of um, a few opportunities like this where um, there was a technical co-founder, a CTO, realized that he didn't want to manage a team, didn't want to deal with the day-to-day stress, uh, you know, getting things to production, supporting customers, etc., and wanted to kind of code in the dark. Mm. Um, so I, I, I took over to manage the engineering team and did that in, in this company for uh, all over four years. Uh, and uh, what, what, what happened then is I was so focused on everything else that I left technology behind, right? Wow. So I was trying to figure out how to hire people, how to manage people, how to work with, uh, um, with product management, how to get things to production, how to support them, how to work with QA, DBA, other parts of the company, et cetera. So just a lot to take in in, in, in the next four years. And when I started looking for my next opportunity towards the end of that, um, I was asked the question many, many times, do, do you code? And I was, I was baffled. I was, I was very surprised because <laughs> I would say like, no, I've been managing 30 people for, you know, nearly four years. When, right. Why would you, why would I code? That makes, makes no sense. And what I, I realized is that though they were, I don't think asking necessarily the, the right questions. What I realized is that my, my brand, who, who I really was, was something I had kind of betrayed, which was I was a geek and I had stopped being a geek, right? Because I was so focusing on the leadership, on the management, really, the, yeah. the day-to-day side of things that I left my understanding of the technology and the technology challenges that we were facing uh, aside to really focus on, on that management. And what I did um, starting then uh, in a very kind of deliberate way uh, is in in ev- since then since basically 2008 2009 uh, I've I've made sure that I still code every day right wow. and it can it can take a lot of different aspects right um, it can be kind of DevOps type work I have my own kind of little home lab at at, at work and I, I mean at home and and home automation and etc uh, but for that I end up coding quite a bit in in different languages and. What I end up doing when I don't have an opportunity to code at work, which sometimes happen, and I try to stay out of production and and build things on the side to just help, uh, you know, the engineering team or or uh, other uh, teams within the organization. But when I don't uh, do that, what I what I do is is what I call scratch an itch. Um, so I find something in my life that needs needs automation, right? Needs needs a machine to do something, uh, and. Uh, I, I build it um, usually from scratch, uh, but using a you know a, a tech stack that I typically don't know much, right? So, you know, if I'm at a point where I go like, oh, you know, Node.js is becoming pretty um, pretty popular, and you know maybe at the time uh, Backbone or or another framework, 
uh, great, I'm going to build this in, in Node.js and in Backbone. Sometimes the choice isn't great, but yeah. you know, the, 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 it, it's not so much the outcome as much as the journey that's important. And for me to learn yeah. um, this while building, as opposed to doing a tutorial and going through an LOL type exercise <laughs> where you learn, you know, you learn, uh, you can you can do that for a thousand different languages, you know, in in in, in a year. Uh, but you're not going to learn how to really use those those thousand languages. So um, I find that um, doing a real life um, application is is much more helpful. And through that, I learned you know Node.js, I learned uh, PHP, I learned uh, Java, um, or Java again, I should say .NET, GoLang, and and a slew of different frameworks and operating systems and uh, things like Docker and Kubernetes and, and many, many other things. Uh, and so, so, you know, I, I, I do this and, and I realize now that this has helped me throughout my career because um, instead of being the, the manager, right, we've all had that manager who is just a, a manager, not a leader. He's not, uh, he or she isn't, um, the, a person that kind of knows the topic, the subject, the technology, right? Yeah. Uh, they're just they're just a manager. They've lost touch with what we do on a daily basis. Um, and 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 through what I do, I feel I remain an engineer, and I'm able to sit down and be an engineer with the other engineers when needs be. Be you know the devil's advocate. Be um, the 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 soapbox. Be. Uh, be the person that you can you can talk to as an engineer and not be like oh I'm talking to the VP or EVP of engineering yeah. like I'm frightened no I'm, I'm you know I established that relationship where you're just talking to an engineer right and yeah. I need to understand why things are the way they are yeah. um, because I still code every day and because I sometimes code at work I understand what you're going through to deploy software to build software mm-hmm. and yeah. I feel that that that's kind of my brain I'm able to um, to really sit down physically or virtually uh, or take a walk virtually or physically <laughs> with engineers uh, and, and just chit chat. Right. Um, and, and I feel that that's something that's, uh, that's appreciated. Now, of course, you know, seeing, for example, my, my first two and a half months at, at Forum Assembly, the learning curve is, is so, is so steep. Um, Sometimes it's frustrating because I don't, I'm not there yet. Right. Uh, at my previous role at Validity, I felt from a technology perspective, you know, I, I was, I was there, um, you know, within within a, a few months. Uh, and at Form Assembly, I'm still on that learning curve of of learning the tools we use and using, uh, understanding our tech debt, understanding our software, etc. So yes. the first few months are always more difficult, but once you 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 feel you're you're up to speed, um, you're finally, you know, again the the that, that geek, that re-geeked, right? And uh, we, we, we came up with that term kind of in, in contrast with your own own path, right? Yes. Which, uh, as I understand, you, you started as a geek and you de-geeked. Absolutely, right? yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I remember that moment where I pushed the keyboard back, my last check-in on Clearcase, and I pushed the keyboard yeah. back and declared to the office, that is my last bit of code. And uh, actually, I haven't been back, but saying that, listening to your story <laughs> around being involved in the technology, I'm quite impressed that you've got a very active growth mindset around being in touch with the technology. So I suppose you, you have, you can speak the language of the engineers. Um, right. they, I, develop, I guess that develops quite a lot of trust as well in terms of, 
you know when you speak it's coming from a place of knowing you know yeah absolutely right we've, we've again we've we've all had that manager that you feel is incompetent because <laughs> there might be a good manager yeah. but they don't know what you're talking about right yeah, and yeah. uh you know that sometime now i feel a little bit at validity in the i mean at form assembly in the early days yeah um and and hopefully i you know i switched that mode pretty soon where i know a lot more about what we're we're talking about right and i'm not just a people manager i'm a, I'm a leader i'm a tech leader brilliant i love that um and it's kind of brings us on to a nice subject around your leadership style i mean we're kind of getting a, a feel or well, i'm yeah. getting a feel for what that is so how would you describe your leadership style what works and you know what advice would you give to others around what's worked for you sure sure uh, so, uh, you know, a, a few years ago, and then again, re recently, I, um, I did one of those questionnaires that get you to, to your disc profile, right? So oh, personality yeah. and assessment, right? And it, it came up roughly, roughly the same and a little change, which is interesting, but roughly the same from what I had done, um, five, six years ago. Uh, and my, my profile without getting into details of, of disc is, is, um, you know, a D which tends to be kind of very, very assertive, very kind of very leader, very uh, kind of bullish in some way, very result oriented, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I would say that in the, you know, in, in, in the first 10 years of my career, so if you think that it, you know, spans 16, 16 years or, or so as a, as a tech leader, um, I was, I was very much that, that person, right? And what, what I learned, and I've got to, you know, give credit to, to a company that I spent three years at, Const Contact, uh, which was a, a really, really great environment for engineers, for, for uh, leaders and, 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 and everybody else. Uh, I really learned to soften a little bit uh, and to be, to listen more, right? To listen to the people, to care more about the people, right? So, right. you know, a lot of people talk about, um, servant leadership right that's a big trendy word for the last few years and you know i don't know if i'm a servant leader or not but what i make sure is that now i i, I focus more on the people uh which is which is funny because we just talked about focusing so much on, on the tech right yeah uh but you've got to also focus a lot on the people right so if if we described a way for me to kind of grow as a technologist uh, I have to make sure that I understand and, and work on making sure that everybody in my team is growing as a person and an engineer, right? So yeah. what's interesting, I think, in that disk profile is that I moved from well, those that know disk, the, the DI side to the DC side, uh, and and I've become uh, a big a bit more. Uh, I guess pragmatic and a big, a, a bit of a, a better listener. I'm still, you know, not the the all caring leader necessarily, uh, but I think that I've I've softened and I I focus a lot of my time on on the people, right? So I yeah. think, you know, my leadership style is kind of instinctively by by nature I am this kind of assertive, driven, um, you know, not 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 typically pragmatic uh but but very much result driven still yeah. um person that has also evolved into being uh softer more caring caring more people uh oriented right especially when it comes to my team yes. um, i think I've, I've also one thing that i learned through cost contact is i realized you know in the in the first say you know 10 years of my career I've been very focused on my engineering team, right? These are the people that I, 
I, I hire, that I nurture, that I protect, right? A lot of leaders think about their role as, as isolating and protecting their team. Yeah. And I think eventually you realize, yeah, you have to do a little bit of that, but you, you also don't need to babysit them, right? Like they need to know what's happening. Yes. They need to know why we're doing things. They need to know uh, that, you know, you, you can't take all the pressure yourself. You have to let some of the pressure through, yes. which will often uh, yield, yield to, to, to good results as well. Um, so uh, I've, I've, I've changed uh, from, from that perspective and, um, I've also learned that, yes, I want to spend a lot of time with that engineering team, but my team is actually the other leaders in the organization, right? Yeah. And that's, I think that's a tough lesson and an early lesson that you have to, to learn is, you know, you, you, you tend to, you know, make, make enemies is a big word, but not certainly not, not establish a lot of strong relationship with the rest of leadership when you're seen as somebody who only protects their team and somebody yeah. who's very kind of self-centered as engineering and, and engineering only. So uh, I really learned to look at everybody, you know, from the head of sales and customer service and marketing and obviously product, which is a, a really critical relationship with engineering um, as uh, as my peers, as, as the team members, people that I have to show vulnerability to, that I have to help and and, uh, and get help from. Yes. Uh, they have to understand kind of what I go through and I have to understand what they go through. And that's ultimately how an uh, engineering leader can make uh, the company successful beyond what they can do in the scope of, of that engineering mindset. So I think, you know, I would say that, 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 that's, that's my, 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 um, my approach is being an engineer, uh, you know, get, gain the respect, as you mentioned, being focused on the people in my engineering team, but not forgetting that my peers are actually the leadership team and not, not the engineers. Right. Yes. So you have, you have to kind of take care of these, uh, um, these kind of three, three aspects of, uh, of, of that leadership. Yes. Um, you know, one, one thing that's, I think, interesting about, about, um, you know, this, this podcast, and we discussed that it, 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 some of it is a, is a cultural difference between Europe and, and the U S yes. uh, uh, is, is kind of the difference between a CTO and a VP of engineering. Right. right. Uh, and I've held all those titles, you know, VP of engineering, EVP of engineering, director of engineering and, and CTO. Uh, in, in my life, CTO a couple of times. Uh, but I always feel that I, I've never really been the CTO. I've been the VP of engineering. And, and for me, there's, there's, there's quite a bit of, of difference there. Um, it's, it's more obvious in, in larger companies. Yeah. Uh, but what's funny is that at least in the US, smaller companies tend to, to name that engineering leader CTO. Right. And then you know, in mid-sized company, you become more of a VP of engineering. And then in a larger size company, there's maybe a CTO and a VP of engineering, right? And right. you can you can think of the CTO as kind of uh, three different roles. And sometimes in larger companies, there, there are three different people. Uh, there is the um, upward facing CTO, right? So at a company like, like uh, Facebook, for example, with, I think, uh, uh, 
Carmine is doing a little bit of that on the VR side. You know, he takes the stage and he evangelizes, right? right. So it's it's the external facing uh, CTO that maybe talks to the Gardner Group and uh, occasionally is on phone calls with customers and large customers, explains the vision, the roadmap, the technical yes. roadmap. Inspiring, cetera, right? yes, yeah. Yeah, re represents uh, the engineering and technology from the company to the to the outside. Then there's the the CTO who's essentially a, a chief architect for the company, right? And usually has uh, other architects reporting to to him or her, yeah. um, and um, you know that's that's a really important role as well. But it's it's typically either role that's shared with a VP of engineering type role in smaller companies, yeah. but in large companies there's often room for both. So for example at uh, Const Contact, we're lucky to have a great VP of engineering and a great CTO. And and that role was was very different. One was very focused, the VP of engineering, on the day-to-day, -day, on the execution of things. And the other was focused on the technical uh, direction and, and architecture in general. And then, so there's there's that third role of this of sometime called CTO, depending on where you are, of, of that day-to-day, -day, that that execution, right? How we make, how we make the sausage, if you will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and 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 for me, that's the VP of engineering role, right? And that's why, you know, even though I, I do serve a little bit occasionally as as an architect, um, I do find that my role is really the VP of engineering role, uh, right. even if if I don't have that that title, right? It's making sure that we hire the right people, that they're as productive as possible, that we have enough process but not too much process that they have a career path and they have, they have growth and that we deliver on on our uh, commitment right yeah. uh, which yeah. is which is really important right and sometimes you know it, it goes into uh, security responsibilities in smaller companies where there isn't a CSO it goes into uh, pr uh, uh, infrastructure responsibilities yes. so uh, kind of a, 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 a infrastructure lead um there as well so so it, it's a it's a vast role for sure yeah yeah i mean it's quite interesting that the three different approaches you've taken here and also the the clarification around the voice you know you know the vp role as well because uh, I, I i've kind of postulated and, and thought around this kind of stuff and it's it's a bit of a minefield you know but it's i love the way you've kind of uh, uh, articulated that uh, so so in terms of the kind of internal cto uh, this the looking at the architects architecture uh, being what I call the time lord, you know, looking at the existing systems, looking to see what they're going to look like in the future, what's going to be the innovation, uh, you know, depending on, um, you know, what technologies are emerging. Um, have you ever had that kind of position before where you are holding that internal CTO? Yeah, yeah, so 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 I have, and, and you, you make it sound very glamorous, right? I like, <laughs> I like the time lord analogy. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, I hope I'd be I'd be the doctor and not the master. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it sounds glamorous. I, I would say that realistically, uh, a lot of the time is actually spent in getting getting uh, a, a team and a, a tech stack and, and software at least to a decent point rather than that forward looking. Let me, let me explain. Right. Um, you know, uh, without going into every role I've had at, at every company I've, I've worked at, I, I've been uh, very often the repair CTO, right? So I've, I've never been kind of employee uh, two that set the technical direction. Right. I've, I've, I've often be a jo joke that I'm 
often employee 35, right? An employee, because I've been employee 35, I think three times in, in my career. Oh, cool. And, and I find that at that time, the mistakes have already all been made, right? Uh, there's probably was a prototype originally. It was probably not built the right way, not with the right, right tech stack. And instead of throwing it away and building something really, really nice, uh, you're, you know, there's a time crunch. You got to get customers. You got to get them on board. You got to do demos. You got to get funding. So you, you, you don't take time to build it right. Um, you just build on top of what you already have, right? Yeah. So as, as that, you know, virtual employee 35 often. Um, and in that, that kind of CTO architect role, what I often deal with more is the tech debt and getting up to snuff, but not necessarily like, Hey, we're going to do this, you know, uh, the, this, this incredible architecture, mm. you know, moving forward. Uh, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to, uh, in the past and, and that was great. Uh, but more often than not, you know, I, I, I'm not starting at zero. I'm starting starting at yeah. minus fifteen, and and my job is first to take it to zero bef before we take it into yes, into right. the positive, right? And uh, you know whether it's uh, which which has happened quite a bit. It's uh, you know um, starting to change tech stack because just the the tech stack is not not appropriate. Uh, whether it's uh, you know it might be the right tech stack, but um, we all use very old versions of the framework, right? And these type of frameworks where at that point you're, you're so far back that it's impractical to, to move forward without doing a, a, a lot of, a, a much of a rewrite, yeah. um, whether, um, whether it's, it's moving away from uh, a monolith into uh, microservices, yeah. uh, whether it's a big infrastructure change, maybe we're, we're all in data centers, uh, and, uh, there's a desire uh, and, and a reason to move to the cloud. Uh, so I've often had these big projects and, mm. and you know, they've, they've come to, uh, to fruition and to, to, to success. Uh, but I, I unfortunately, or, you know, that fortunately I've, I've been that kind of what yeah. we call at least in, in, in the Boston uh, area that the repair CTO, right? So the person <laughs> that. That, that comes in and, and, and yeah. fixes things, yeah. right? And, and my role, uh, you know, we, we talk about technology a lot. It's, it's in the name CTO, obviously. But uh, my role has often been to not just kind of fix the tech, but fix the process and, and fix the team, right? Um, fix the people. So, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's not the right team. Uh, but more often than not, it's just not the right. Um, people are not working in, on the right thing the right way. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes there's, uh, you know, it's, it's happened a few times where there's a uh, very kind of po poisonous individual in the, in the organization and it's kind of ruining the, the culture. Right. So sometimes it's fixing the culture, right. Yeah. Uh, whether it's, it's by, you know, changing the team a little bit. Uh, but very often it's just, just changing the approach, right. Yeah. Uh, getting rid of, of negativity, ne getting rid of, oh, we've already tried that before, it didn't work. Well, it's like, guess what? What you're doing today isn't working either. So what should we do? The yeah. kind of proven way that has yielded result in the past in other organization or sure. or the, the innovative way that we're doing things today and that is is failing completely. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that kind of brings us back to that kind of uh, being hands-on. If you've got that ability to have those conversations around uh, pushback or, you know, the way things are, you, you can have a... Uh, a more, uh, you know, a serious conversation around 
you can't have the wool pulled over your eye. I think that's that's the thing. You know, you can't yeah. even know what you. You know, that's a good uh, way to to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's interesting because when I've worked in places, being the geek that managed to do geek, and uh, people, uh, if you hide your geekiness enough, um, people then start to kind of try to pull the wool over your eye, but they don't know that you know. You know. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's always an interesting moment. Um, so yeah, and in terms of uh, the kind of the CTO role again, um, you you've described. Uh, uh, a beautiful kind of scope it's not just about the tech it's about the people the culture the processes and what have you and getting the balance right um th there's also another area uh, which we spoke on uh, before uh, which was the kind of um the business acumen knowing what the business needs um sure. how, how do you find that is that something that you've had to learn or you've always kind of been aware of that yeah um so no that that's really something i've had to learn and and um you know i um up until uh, about 2013, so when I started at, at Gans Contact, um, you know, I, I, I'm not much of a, uh, a person that's that's uh, very kind of in, introspective, right? Uh, you know, it's 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 the D and the disc. I, I just kind of move forward. Uh, but I've, I've, you know, I had an opportunity at that time to kind of look back and try to understand my career path and what my weaknesses and, and strengths were. And, um, you know, what, what I realize is that though, you know, I've worked with, with terrific people and executives, uh, I've never had a boss that ever had my job before, right? right. Uh, I've, had I've had bosses that were first time CEOs, maybe occasionally second time CEOs, COOs, uh, but, but never had they been CTO, VP of engineering or anything close to it or, or even product manager type, type roles, right? Yeah. And, um, and and what I um, what I realized is that I, I kind of needed that right. So I had been kind of the top dog in small and medium uh, sized company from an engineering perspective. Yeah. Uh, but what I realized I, I needed to do is is find a role where I would be within an engineering organization, but not heading the whole organization, right? Yeah. And what I wanted is to be able to report to to someone. Uh, who had done this before and could really guide me and, and, and help me grow, right? And, and that was really important in my career. And, and that was in 2013. And, and uh, I took that role at Cost Contact as a, as a uh, director of engineering. So, you know, in a way, since, since 2005, the, the quote unquote lowest title I had held. Uh, but, uh, you know, one, what I realized is that very quickly I managed actually the largest team I had ever managed, which wow. at the time was, was about 60 people. Um, so the title didn't matter much because the, the, the influence, the challenges uh, were, were definitely there. But importantly, uh, I worked with a few really great executives who had done what I had done before, right? So there was specifically um, uh, a, a CEO, uh, sorry, a CTO uh, there that was really focused on architecture and, and he and I worked together quite a bit. My boss uh, was the VP of engineering, uh, worked with him quite a bit. There was a, a VP of infrastructure uh, that I got to work uh, a lot with and an SVP of product and engineering uh, that I worked quite a bit with. And it was great to have all these people that were senior to me that had more experience than me. And uh, I got to learn a lot there, right? And I would say that, you know, one, one advice beyond the kind of stay technical, pay, pay attention to your, uh, to, to, to your people, to your engineers, uh, your, you know, your peers are the other executives 
in the company, I would say, you know, another thing is, is seek mentorship, right? And, and my wife, I, you know, we, we had been talking and she had told me like, oh, you need to, to find a mentor. So maybe go find a coach. But I always felt like a coach is, you know, can, can bring a lot of interesting thing. And I've got a great coach today that, that helps me out. But the problem is that most of these coaches have never been uh, a VP of engineering, right? So yeah. it's like, it's hard, like you, you've never been in my shoes, right? So it's a little bit like talking to a psychiatrist, like you want to open up, but but there's things that are hard to, to say if you haven't gone through it. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, I uh, getting that, that mentorship for a little over two years out of my three years at, at uh, Const Contact, uh, but also later on finding a peer group uh, and in Boston with a VP of of engineering forum and you know these exist throughout the world i think is really important right uh and today i'm just a slack away i did it just yesterday from slacking you know five six people in my cohort and getting their opinion on a on on something that's a challenge in, in my current role right. um, and then eventually maybe even getting a, a coach right someone who's not in tech but can help you with that aspect of, yes. of, of business acumen and working the other leaders. So I think that at some point, um, you know, and, and some people I didn't, but some people are able to do that early on as a, as a dev manager, as a tech lead, mm. really start paying attention to the business and the why we're doing things. I came to that a little late. Right. Um, but since then, you know, I, I, I never, um, you know, I never took a lot of classes in businesses or, or et cetera. So I'm, I'm really raw when it comes to that. I'm not necessarily a, a natural, but, um, or, or maybe I'm, I'm a bit more of a natural and, and didn't learn much about it. So I'm yeah. still, uh, you know, pretty basic when it comes to it. But I tried to pay a lot of attention to the business, right? And through, through 15, 16 years of experience, I've, I've uh, had the opportunities to be in a lot of different business circumstances, be in front of customers a lot, uh, work very tightly with, with sales and customer success and et cetera. Um, so I, I think that part is interesting. And, you know, I, I hope uh, that in every role, uh, you know, uh, people see me as an engineering leader as, as handling things and, and not needing, you know, supervision beyond that. Right. Uh, but uh, but really see me as another executive that can bring uh, uh, interesting perspective to everything beyond engineering. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and some things are natural with like maybe product uh, and um, and maybe customer success. You know, finance is, is feels pretty natural to me, even though I don't know much about accounting. But I've done enough, you know, budgeting and etc. But and it's also kind of just math. Right. Yes. Uh, it, it, it makes sense to me. Um, sales marketing is a little more for, foreign, but I've been exposed to it quite a bit. So, um, yeah, I think developing a business acumen is is important. Right. It makes you it makes you an executive rather than than, quote unquote, just a technology. Leader. That's right. I mean, that's an interesting point. Uh, everything you described there is just around uh, coming back to that business agility piece is that tech leaders uh, here at IT Labs, we, we really believe this is that tech leaders uh, should really be at the table, you know, with with finance, with HR, with uh, the kind of uh, you know the CEO, uh, because in a way, you know, coming back to the time lord analogy, you know, you understand the past of the of the organisation, you understand the present, the problems, the the challenges, um, and also where we need to go in the future, and having that technical uh, acumen uh, along with the business acumen, knowing 
you know where to take the organization it's a it's a really good conversation to have it's a very important voice i believe you know yeah, yeah. And, and you you mentioned hr and i realized i i didn't even mention hr in in all these kind of partnership hr is so important right because your role as a as a tech lead uh is to hire the right people yeah and to mentor your existing people to success right yes and uh doing that without the help of hr is impossible so you know um also in the past six eight years <clears throat> partnership with partnering with hr has become super important right and um, you know, uh, uh, I'm developing a great relationship at Form Assembly with uh, with, with our, um, our our people uh, people, right? Um, but um, you know, if I look back at, at Form Assembly and and I work with uh, a, a great um, head of of, uh, of people of HR there, Hillary, uh, I was in her office, you know, once a day, like systematically, probably probably too much for her own sake. <laughs> uh, and and not because we necessarily had problems, but just to to run things by by her and, yeah. and really focus on the culture, focus on on the diversity, on the hire, on uh, uh, on on how uh, uh, how engineering interacted with the rest of the organization at my level, but also at, at for everybody in in uh, in engineering. So that that relationship, um, you know, I, I failed to mention it, but it's it's yeah, it's a really yeah, important one as well. And I imagine not doing that kind of creates all kinds of issues. Uh, whereas when you work in collaboration with this, you're pulling um, with, through those conversations, that interaction, you're pulling in the right, in, in the same direction as opposed to two different things going on, you know, because, because, uh, uh, you know, this comes actually, it's a nice segue into the, to the part that I wanted to cover next, which was uh, around hiring the right people, you know, um, and, and also being in the kind of global COVID world that we live in now, remote teams um, um, are, a, are a big thing. Um, so, so in terms of hiring, hiring the right people, I mean, what, what, what are the kind of steps that you take around that? Yeah, so, so I'm going to use a, a visual aid a little bit, hopefully oh, cool. I'll, I'll work with a, with a camera. So, um, you know, there, there's this obsession that the industry has of hiring culture fits, right? And if you hire culture fit, which sounds nice, right? Because it sounds easy. Well, it's difficult, but it sounds like the right thing to do because if you hire people like us, then they won't be problematic in any way, right? Yeah. But what you end up is, you know, at least in the U.S., at least in 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 computer software, you mostly end up with a bunch of middle-aged white people just like yourself in my case, right? And and people that come from the same background and have done roughly the same things, and there's no there's no diversity, right? And we know yeah. that that you know diversity. Yes, you want to do it for all the right reasons from a human perspective, right? But also kind of selfishly, um, diversity is a positive for organizations, right? Like it, it, does, uh, it does have real advantages, right? Yeah. Because if everybody is the same, thinks the same way, you're not going to cover, you know, enough of the thought space to come up with innovative ideas, different ideas, different approaches. You're not going to leverage different experiences. You're not going to pay attention. You know, even if, as you target your user, you're going to think of your user as one way while yeah. other people might think of them the, the other way, right? So, so hiring, you know, as a culture fit is a fallacy, right? Um, 
we had, uh, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about uh, about swears, but I'll use one if, if I may. Yeah. Uh, but at, at Cost Contact, we had a, a, a declared, I think from the CEO, I was she was a, a really great leader. We had a declared policy, which was we had a no asshole policy. <laughs> would not hire assholes, right? Right. Uh, and and that's something that I've kind of continued since then, right? And 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 that part of culture fit, I'm good with, right? Like, who wants to hire people that are difficult <laughs> to work with, that are going to insult other people, demean other people, etc. You don't want to do that for sure. Uh, but in general, just hiring the same people you already have yeah. is is a losing proposition, right? Because um, and I'm, I'm going to try that visually. Let me know if it works cool. on, on yeah, camera. Good. But but let's say that, that your engineering team, I'm going to put it in front of, of my face. Can you see it? Yeah. Yeah. Your engineering team is here, right? It's here in terms of culture. It's here in terms of, say, um, uh, uh, quality engineering, testing, craftsmanship, quality of the work, etc. Right? Let's take the example of, of testing and test-driven development, for example. Uh, ideally, you want to be, let's say your engineering team is doing really badly when it comes to, to that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So you're here, but you want to be here. Right? Yeah, A to B, could, yeah. Yeah, you, 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 can, you can hire somebody there, but you're, you're not going to move in that direction. Yeah. You can hire somebody here, and that's going to be very difficult because that person is going to be a zealot. Right, they're going to not accept that you're here, and their sole focus is going to be to get you to where they are. Right, yeah. and that's not going to work. Right, so you can't hire a culture fit systematically because that's not going to move you forward. Yeah. But you can't hire somebody that's way out of the spectrum. Right, yeah. um, so my my philosophy, you know, beyond hiring the right people, beyond hiring. The, the, the best people beyond, beyond being very selective from a, a technical point of view, but also from, from a, a, an approach perspective is that I, I hire people who are going to be in the middle of that spectrum, right? Yes. Because these people are going to be successful dragging your team towards the middle. And then guess what? When you're here, you can hire somebody who's there and they're going to drag it towards there. And suddenly you're going to have a team that, through a, a softer approach, a team that did not do, say, unit testing, as is going to start seeing the benefits of unit testing, not because we had a zealot that would just just scream and 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 yell and put pressure on people yeah. to do unit test and be 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 a unit test fascist, uh, but because you had someone with a pragmatic approach who got the team there, right? Yes. So. You know, and, and apply this to kind of everything, right? If you have a team that is, for example, at uh, at Form Assembly, we had a we have a lot of people that are mid level, right? And uh, you think, how are these people going to by themselves go from mid level to senior, right? And uh, financially, and for a lot of other reasons, does that make sense to have only mid or or senior people? And the industry at large is very afraid of hiring junior people. So yeah. if you think of that diagram again, but but we're in the middle because we have a lot of mid-level people, you need to start hiring junior people so that your mid-level people can mentor junior people and grow as engineers. Yeah. And they're going to grow to be senior. You can also hire a few senior people, but you know a lot of organizations um, hire uh, you know as a pyramid, right? 
So they'll have uh, a lot of, um, well, actually, no, let me rephrase that. A lot of, of senior, a lot of uh, organization uh, are an inverse pyramid, right? right. Uh, very few junior people, a lot of senior people, right? right. Um, uh, some organizations, you know, early on, maybe because they can't afford anything else, will, will have a, a regular pyramid where there's a lot of junior people, but not a lot of people that can mentor them, right? Or you, you can have this kind of uh, uh, diamond, which is more my type of organization, where you're going to have a lot of mid-level people, but you're going to hire junior people and they're going to grow into mid-level people. And your yeah. mid-level people, some of them are going to grow to engineers. Yes. And that's a much healthier organization to me. And that's part of the hiring philosophy of, you don't want to, you know, I, I think sometime of organization, it's, it's, and I don't mean that to be kind of dehumanizing, but as uh, a Tetris game, right? Uh, right? What you need is not a bunch of, of that straight like four square bar, right? Because realistically, the first few people that you're going to hire are not going to be that straight bar. They're going to be the weekly one or, or the angled one or, or the square or what have you, right? So with each hire, you're going to have to find, you know, what's, what's the right Yes. complement to to you know to fit that tetris game yes. right and, yeah. and stack stack down um but sometime when you play tetris um you know you 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 don't get the 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 piece you want uh but you have to still think like that's okay like i'm not necessarily putting myself in a very comfortable situation because i'm not stacking down uh but it's okay because it, it's a good piece. I want that piece, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's maybe like a hey, you know I, I I wanted to hire mid or 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 senior, but this great junior developer came about, right? And sure, they're super green, but so much potential, no ceiling. Like really excited about the candidate. So what are you gonna do? Are you going to say like, ah, eh, you know what? I'm I'm trying to hire mid or senior, so I'm gonna pass on that person right and a lot of companies unfortunately do that and, and don't give a chance uh to to those engineers um but I, I i strongly believe one that the right junior engineer can do 65 70 percent of what a senior engineer can do and 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 we don't only solve difficult problems right every engineering team has to do a bunch of things that are trivial a bunch of things that yeah. are somewhat difficult and and some things that are really really difficult so there's room for everyone so as long as you hire the right junior person that's yeah. that's a good hire right even if that's not what you want it to do that's yeah. probably still you know a, a piece that you want you want to have right and because i really believe that engineers to grow have to mentor other engineers uh, you need that junior person so that the mid-level people can can mentor uh, other other engineers. Right. Um, so I, I believe that's that's an important piece, and that's why you know I, I favor when I hire junior engineers. I favor schools like mine, but uh, around the Northeast in the U.S. There's a lot of similar schools mm. that do this this co-op program where you you basically come out of. Uh, uh, with a degree, but you have, you know, six months, uh, a year, a year and a half of real hands-on experience. experience yeah, right? And, yes. and I, you know, I cheat, right? Cause I, be, I hire people who just graduated, but they already have work, right? They yeah. know what it's like to, to not work in a lab, not work in a computer lab, but work in a, in a real company, building real software, using open source, doing code reviews, being code reviewed, uh, making mistakes, pushing things to production, pushing things to production and failing, like yeah. all of these experiences, you know, it's, they're hard to get just 
by attending a class. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great, I have heard of these kind of schooling techniques where people do develop their skills on job. Uh, they get their experience. I mean, that might end up earning a little bit of money as well. Um, um, I love that. I love your analogy as well around the Tetris idea, you know, hiring by Tetris, you know. Um, you know, the, the, the piece that you don't want comes along, but it's a valuable piece and you place it somewhere, which kind of creates almost like a, uh, a need to kind of uh, a, a, another set of different goals to kind of get it working and building up that level of the organization. So I love that. I'm gonna, I want to steal that from you, Eric, you know. Sure, uh, <laughs> so that's great. Um, and just going to touch on very quickly around the, uh, the remote team thing. So you've obviously mentioned that you work on a lot of different cultures. I mean, how do you find, what are the challenges around there and how do you overcome them? Sure. Um, yeah, so I've had the opportunity, uh, you know, in the past to have, um, to, to manage either people that are completely remote um, or uh, or people in offices that were not the one I, I sat on. Uh, recently at, at Form Assembly, I'm lucky, you know, uh, COVID and, and after COVID, hopefully, after COVID comes soon, soon, yeah. uh, won't be soon enough, but uh, that uh, form assembly is, is uh, remote only, remote first, right? Um, we, don't, we don't have an office to go to. Uh, so uh, the remote culture is, is, is what it's always been, right? And when I talk to candidates, you know, I, I, it's hard to, 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 to find good things to say about, about uh, us being remote uh, only when at this point everybody's remote, right? So it's not it's not a, a distinguishing factor, uh, but it actually is, right? Because the difference is that we've always been remote, so we know how to do remote. We know how to onboard remote. We know the challenges. We know the right people to hire, right? Whereas, you know, people that have become remote as you know part of COVID, and I think as an industry we've we've adapted well. Uh, but uh, it's it's brand new, right? So the idea that you're working with people remotely, but these are people that you've worked with before in an office, that's actually easy. What happens when you make your first hire as a newly remote company that used to have an office where everybody yeah. has met each other, but you have that first hire that has never met anybody physically yet, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't suffer from that because we've never done that, right? We, we do meet, you know, outside of COVID, we do meet once a, a year as a, as a whole organization and, and once a year as a, a product organization, but, uh, but still we're, we're, we're remote only, right? Yeah. And so, so that's one aspect. And another aspect is, um, you know, remote only has allowed us to hire um, from uh, around around the globe, right? Uh, and so we've got a number of, of people, a vast majority still of people in, in, in Northern America, right? Specifically for us in, in the US, yeah. uh, well, for, for form assembly, all, all of Northern America, uh, but for engineering in the US. Um, but we have a number of people in, in Europe and in, uh, uh, and in Africa. Uh, and uh, I think what's what's interesting there um, is I, I realized early on I, I was in this um, interesting situation. Um, I, I took a, a year off when I was around 17, 18, 18 I think. Um, and I, I spent um, close to a year in, in Russia managing a, a team of Russian scientists that were, oh. were building uh, software, which, you know, I, I didn't mention it, but was probably really my first intro to, to managing people. Wow. Um, 
And, uh, you know, what I realized is I saw a lot of, so, you know, I was French, born in France. I've never lived in the U.S. at the time. Uh, and I saw a, a bunch of Americans, and we're talking about Americans here, but I think it, it's it's true of people in general, that, uh, you know, came to Russia in this context and tried to do it, do things the, the U.S. way, right? And very often the reaction was like, wait, 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 that's not how we do things here, right? And... Uh, I think you have to be careful with these approaches. Uh, one, you, you don't want to necessarily do things the way that they've been successful before without without understanding the technical differences, right? Yeah. You want to rely on your experience, but not like blanket saying it's worked here, so it's going to work there, even though the context is very different. Yeah. Uh, you also don't want to be shy about it, right? It's like, well, great, like, okay, that's the way you do this in Russia, but uh, maybe there are some things that don't work, so let's let's find an approach that works well, right? Yeah. And that might take from from both approaches. So, you know, very often in in these companies, uh, and I've seen it throughout my career with, uh, you know, having spent most of my career at this point in in the U.S. for the past twenty years, um, that uh, you know Americans tend to have that 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 bulldozer approach, right? That bull terrier. <laughs> Uh, of I'm just going to do things the way you know it, it, it worked for me before, right? Without uh, without realizing realizing the technical differences, right? The the different work ethics and etc. I managed um, uh, around 2010. I managed uh, a few um, engineering team in in France, and you know France has changed a lot since since I left in in good ways and in bad ways. The mm -hmm. the 35 hours of work a, a week as 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 common and that's that's very much a challenge for software companies right because yeah. you know what can you really do in in 35 hours right um so we've we've adapted but for example even as a french person but having spent so much time in the us in 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 my career uh it was challenging for me to really relearn the cultural differences adapt to these new changes in France and be able to manage this team successfully, right? Yeah. So cultural differences beyond time zones are, are really important um, as well. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, one thing I, I wanted to mention without going into detail. So, um, you know, we, we have uh, a gentleman that that uh, works with us out of uh, out of Africa uh, and uh, is is country is in is in grave turmoil. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, he has to deal with people being shot like pretty much yeah. outside his, his apartment window and and feeling unsafe himself. Right. And, you know, certainly the, the you know, I wouldn't compare it with the U.S. through the U.S. We're, in the U.S. we're going through our own turmoil. Uh, but you have to think like, I you know, I, I got up, I got my breakfast, you know, I could go for a 30 minute walk outside and outside of, of you know, if I wear a mask. Uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be safe, right? Yeah. And and at least in my neighborhoods in the U.S., I'm going to be safe. There are people in my team that are not, right? Uh, yeah. And that realistically could you know be be fearing for their lives, right? Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to dwell on that too much. It, it's a it's it's a bit of an extreme example, of course. But you have to understand that different people have different environments, out, you know, around them. Uh, another kind of more local example is. 
and and a lot of us have gone through that in in covid right where we retreated to our basement i'm in my basement today right yeah. um you know when my daughter is is uh, on a school break she's just like sounds like a tr a troop of elephant above me right during my calls <laughs> yeah um you know she she's pretty good about it but sometimes she barges in right so it's like that all the bbc uh, yes yes i don't know what i was gonna mention that yeah yeah uh so we we have to understand that um you know uh remote workers uh just uh, remote workers are i've been going through that all their all their their work life as a remote worker right so not being able to focus you know i i had uh when when at validity we went uh remote uh once COVID hit we had you know obviously a lot of engineers that were younger in their career that were in a studio apartment right so they were on their barely kitchen table in the same room that's their bedroom and yeah. you know if they're lucky not their bathroom uh, as well right yeah. and so that's part of remote and part of the culture and obviously this is this is this is evident to to most people at this point but you have to understand that you know if if you're lucky to have good circumstances around you and i think i personally do um some people have uh you know no child care and mm. uh they're they're in the same room as the dish uh the dishwasher maybe yeah. uh and uh you know their their spouse might work might not work and um, you know, just before this call, I, 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 you know, I thought it was funny at uh, 8.28 uh, my time. So two minutes before this call, I realized I didn't put the water bottles out. So I run upstairs and got really? the water bottles out and et cetera, right? You have to understand like all of these little annoyances and these big grave things that are happening around the world. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that, uh, you know, you, you have to expand that to all the cultural differences, right? Work ethics, work habits, mm -hmm. um, environment around you. Uh, you have to obviously talk about a time zone. I think one thing we've been successful with is, and, and we've had, you know, people be able to do that. And I think for the most part, be happy to do that. Um, they, they work, you know, maybe a couple days a week on the American East Coast time. Mm. Uh, and so even when they're in, in Europe, uh, in, uh, um, you know, we have someone in Hawaii, uh, and, and we have, as I mentioned, people, people in Africa, uh, when you're, you know, so that means that they, they finish work at nine or 10 PM, you know, a couple of days a week. Right. Uh, yeah. and I'm sure that's, that's not easy. Uh, but, but, you know, I think you also have to do your part a little bit as a remote worker, right? Like, uh, that gives you a lot of flexibility, but sometimes it takes back a little bit of, of yeah, flexibility. Yes, that's right. Okay. Now, I can't imagine that. What I'm hearing is, is uh, you're quite a, a considerate leader in that sense, you know, because you're kind of factoring in where, what people's situations are, where they are in the world, you know, and, and what, what's local to them. So that's kind of, uh, that's quite heartwarming because that's, a, that's an important part of uh, the human side of, of organisations, especially in this remote world, you know, because it is all very challenging at the moment, you know. Um, Absolutely. Excellent. So um, kind of coming to the end of our time, we've had a really good chat. I've got some great takeaways, uh, uh, you know, that I'd like love to kind of share more with people in terms of, um, uh, you know, this podcast and your, uh, what would you like to kind of leave as a takeaway for, for the tech community, tech leadership community out there, Eric? Sure. Um, so, so, you know, I, I, I've I approached that for the most part has been successful, right? Um, you know, depending on the environment, I would say um, uh, not as much, right? I think that 
I really try to be a, a, a compassionate leader, right? Uh, someone that cares about the people. Right. And sometimes you, you, you're not in a company in an environment that uh, where, where that is seen as a good thing, right? And I think you should uh, you should run away from that, right? Uh, I think uh, you know I've got we covered a lot of things, right? So about like staying technical if you can, and and uh, and but also being uh, you know with your people, with your peers, etc., right? And I think these are all valid advice. We we've talked about um, about leadership, right? Uh, we've talked about hiring. We, we've talked about all these things. So it's hard to to leave with with one advice. Uh, but but you know I would say that um, I I was lucky to kind of fall into it as we discussed early on, and and it was a good fit for me. Right? Yeah. I I think as an industry we've though we're changing, we've always looked at the manager role and the leader role uh, as the next step, right? You, you have to be managing people to be successful, to earn more money, etc. cetera. Uh, I think I want, uh, you know, in a little counterintuitive way, I would say that if you're, if you're considering tech leadership, consider it for the right reasons. Consider it because it's what interests you, because you think you'd be a great fit. Um, if anything, try it out for a year and maybe fail and go back to doing something else. I had a, a, um, a dev manager, a really bright guy uh, at Cons Contact who did that. He was a manager for, for a year, took classes, like did everything he could. And in the end, he, he decided, you know what, that's, that's not me. And he mm -hmm. went back and, and became a principal engineer and he's had a, a great career. I think we're lucky that now it is very much accepted that you can grow you can make more money uh being a great engineer getting yeah. to you know depending on your 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 hierarchy at your company becoming a principal engineer an advisory going into the maybe the architect role eventually going to that that you know um uh, architecture focused cto yeah. um or maybe becoming a product manager or or something altogether different right so you know counterintuitively i would say try it out do it for the right reasons that's how you're going to be successful at it uh and 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 if it's not you fail quickly and go do something else where you're going to be more successful right because uh you know ultimately and not to get dark we only are here for a certain amount of time uh, you want to enjoy yourself, kind of looping back to, to the other part. You want to show up on Monday morning at work, right? Whether it's remote or in an office, hopefully yeah. in a few months, um, but realistically next year. Um, <laughs> and and you want to be happy, right? Because uh, we don't have enough time on this earth to be to be unhappy. And, um, and, and I would say, do it for the right reasons. Try it out. Uh, and, and if you don't like it, go do something else. That's brilliant advice. Um, uh, I wish I'd have heard your advice earlier on, Eric. You know, earlier on in my... No, I've done okay. I'm, I'm happy with where I am. Um, so that's great. Thank you for your um, wisdom, Eric. Um, it's been great hearing your story and, uh, and I've got some great takeaways. So hopefully, um, you know, uh, um, we look forward to speaking again. Maybe, maybe we can invite you on to, to do a webinar uh, as, as part of our kind of uh, CTO Confessions webinar series. Sure. Um, so thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Well, thank you again, Eric. I am again blessed to meet another fantastic tech leader, one with compassion in his leadership style. 
It's always wonderful to hear leaders speaking about the importance of their leadership approach and the impact it has on the collective organization's success and work environment. So I want to share some key takeaways from the podcast. Firstly, the absolute importance of actively designing your teams to serve the needs of the work at hand, from tech skills to the diversity of thinking. I think the interesting perspective here is that it's not all about culture fit. I know this is something that gets discussed a lot in many quarters uh, across the business. It's an interesting perspective to chew on a little bit more and one that I feel has some learning in it for me. How about you? And the second key takeaway for me is how retaining and developing one's skills in the technical skill space can serve your tech leadership hugely. On that, I like Eric's idea of scratching that itch, seeing a solution that you want to solve and wrapping a tech solution around it to keep one's tech skills from going rusty. And Eric does this by coding pretty much every day, as he says. And finally, my last key takeaway is the importance of tech leadership, not just being about tech, but people and business acumen as well. Finding the right balance so that you become a respected and effective leader in the organisation as a whole, not just tech. So thank you again, Eric, for your time and your wisdom. And before I leave you, I want to remind you to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to IT Labs webinar series. URLs to do that can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about the services IT Labs provide, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. From everyone here at IT Labs, live well and prosper until we meet again on the next podcast.